like macho films. They really get my pick. Well, I like arty films. I think they're so sick. What if I pick? Yeah, and then I pick? All right, Bryce. Okay, Nick. Let's not waste time. Can you? Give me a flick. You know how we do it? It is Brycey and Nicky's. Can you give me a flicky? Oh, that's lovely that you added the E. Mm. I've got to add in my woo. I will be editing that out in post-production. Oh, that's terrible. Why can't you just let me be me? Every week, Bryce, you and I give each other a film, one film that one of us love, and it's the kind of film that the other one wouldn't typically. We try and get them over the line. We think it's so good that they should love it. I love how much this show has evolved over the years because initially, over the years, over our 15-episode run, because Feels we, like years, doesn't it? It does feel like it. Especially with those woos. Every moment with you feels like an eternity. But <laughs> the thing I love about this show and the way that it's evolved over the, the, the 15 episodes that you and I have done is we initially did this to piss each other off with films. But now we're trying to get each other over the line. That it's a nice true. little nice little evolution you and I have gone through here. Mm. I actually want you to watch good films because I think you're so deprived of them. Okay, well, <laughs> then why have you given me Snatch? <laughs> this week you are watching. And brother, I'm so fucking excited. Yeah, because great. this is for the first time you're actually watching one of my... God films like this is like is this top tier. Is this it? is top tier. This mm. is the, uh, the the desert island movie. Like this is one of my all time faves. Yeah, right. Um, brilliant film. Uh, 2000, 2000 This comedy drama came out, and I don't know if it's a comedy drama. Yeah, well, it's a crime. It's a crime comedy. Is that it, fair? It, oh, it's very dark humor. Yeah. It's it's pitch black comedy, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't seen Snatch, if this is your first experience with Snatch, and I apologise because I'm going to be very excitable throughout this entire thing. Oh, uh, God. The IMDb has this one describes as an unscrupulous boxing promoter, violent bookmakers, a Russian gangster, incompetent amateur robbers, and supposedly Jewish jewelers fight to track down a priceless stolen diamond. And the thing is about that, that only really explains such a small part of this film. Um, the critics' consensus of this on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 74% based on 143 reviews from professional critics, but the audience score is at a 93 with 250 thousand ratings. Wow. The, the critics' consensus is, though, perhaps a case of style over substance. Don't agree with that. Guy Ritchie's second crime caper is full of snappy dialogue, dark comedy, and interesting characters. Now, the fun thing about this film is it was a follow-up to his debut film, which just fucking knocked it out of the park. It's a huge cult classic, a film called Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And how many years before this one was that? 1997, that one came out. So he had a few years to get the second Three one. Three years in the making. But right. he had a but he had a micro budget for Lock, Stock, and they gave him 10 mil for this one. So he was he had a little bit more room to play. And in my opinion, it's the better film. Uh, it definitely doesn't have that same status that Lockstock had, but right, it, people love it because it's it's grungy. It's, it's the first film that he made. Yeah, and it's just so it's so like it's it was made on such a shoestring budget. It, the, practically the whole thing's shot in. It looks like one yeah, room. Yeah, okay. It's like when you uh, come across an indie band before anyone else. Exactly. You love that. And then they get famous. You go, oh, actually, well, I was like, there from the beginning. It was probably a little bit better, if I'm honest. But then it's like the first album often sounds like it was recorded in a garage. And then the second and third sound like they were made on a, you know, yes. the record label threw some cash at them. You know what I mean? Mm, splashing the cash. Uh, the cast of this film is fantastic. Jason Wonderful Statham, cast. Brad Pitt, Stephen Graham, Vinnie Jones, Ewan Bremner, uh, Benicio Del Toro. Uh, and let's not forget the great Dennis Farina. 
Well, I had forgotten him. <laughs> Who? He's the American guy. Oh, okay. Like the only American. What in else the film. has he done? Oh, I didn't recognise him. Have you not? What about? Uh, have you seen? Oh, you're not a gangster guy, though, are you? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> have you seen Get Shorty? Get Shorty, and then what was the follow-up that they did? Uh, be cool. Be cool. Yes, I loved Be Cool. Have you seen Get Shorty? And I have seen Get Shorty. Yes. Get Shorty. He's he gets at the very beginning of the film. John Travolta punches him in the mouth. Oh, that's and him. He, and he goes. Yeah, you go. Yeah. That's what I felt like doing most of this film. <laughs> oh, you did not, Brycey, brother. I reckon this week is maybe the easiest I've had it so far. Really? Yeah. That's it. That's great. Uh, oh no, no, in a good way. Uh, this is a horrendous movie. No! There is nothing about this that I enjoyed. It from the get go, absolutely awful, abysmal. Wow! I don't really want to talk about it. Let's move on to next week. Um, what is your favourite wedding film of all time? Uh, oh, oh, wait, no! What's well, happening see, here? Everything about this was abysmal. What did you not like about it? It was confusing. There was nothing funny about it. I oh. think he thinks that the dialogue is really sharp and intelligent and smart and sophisticated. I think he's completely missed the, p- the plot on that. Oh. Uh, I think there's no degree of self-awareness. I think the cinematography is disgusting. <laughs> I think, <laughs> oh honestly, God. it's like an awful colour palette. It's drab. It's lifeless. It's technically problematic as well. There's moments when you see it in, in high definition where uh, there are shots that are soft and not in focus. I couldn't figure out a theme or a message. None of the characters were likeable. <laughs> no, they're not. But that's the point. That's the <laughs> fucking point. There's no heart. They no there heart. Was zero empathy that it elicited from me. I was craving a woman or someone with any degree of no, not a lot of women characters. To its credit, <laughs> it's definitely a, not. Is a, a mum that dies. Yeah, uh, that's about it. Too many Russians. Not enough women. <laughs> oh, Every time with the I saw someone being pummeled to death or shot in the head, I wished it was me. <laughs> I hated this film. Oh, my God. Absolutely That's so surprising. Is it? Yeah. What is it you love about this movie? Mate, I think it is just the whole nine yards. I love the dialogue. I love the acting. The fucking performances are so good. I... I Brad Pitt is so funny in it. You know, the, the interesting thing about Brad Pitt in this movie as well is he was initially going to play Turkish, who is Jason Statham's yes. character, because he loved Lockstock. Uh-huh. And he approached Guy Ritchie and said, I want to be in your next film. Yeah. And he goes, okay, well, I've got a character for you. And got him to play Turkish, who ended up getting, mm. Jason Statham ended up getting the role. Because he did think that he had a very convincing British accent. Yeah. And wanted him to put on a British accent. So he ended up getting him to do uh, Mickey the Irishman, uh, the pikey, as yes. they call them consistently throughout the film. And he, I loved, I love the Brad Pitt stuff in this. i got to say, Brad Pitt for me is the saviour of this. He's if there is so anything fucking good in it. me watching this movie, apart from the necessity to record this episode with you, oh it was his performance. I thought he was fantastic. Mate, this he's is a little terrific. bit of, of him and what he sounds like. Uh, not the Rouge, the Rose. It's not the same caravan. It's not the same fight. What's the fucking size of the last one? Turkish. The five choice of size. And my master needs a caravan. I like to look after me mad. It's a fair deal. Take it. <laughs> Do you know something? Can I tell you a fun fact about Mickey the Irishman in this? Um, if you go back 20 years to when this was on DVD, 
um, what they would do is, is when you would get the film and it would play the heisty music, you know, the doom, 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 yeah. doom, 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 on the menu screen. When you press play on the film, it'll ask you if you want Brad Pitt subtitles. Really? It'll say, do you want Brad Pitt subtitles? Yes oh, or funny. no. Because he is intentionally hard to understand. They've, yeah. they've done that as a, the bit for the film. But you never really have to understand him. Like, the, his dialogue is always repeated, like, in layman's terms by Statham or, or Stephen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen's okay. character. So, it, but it's like just that little extra bit of thing. Because I watched it on Stan recently and they obviously don't have that dialogue option. Um, but I really tried to see if I could make out everything and definitely couldn't. No. But he actually is saying shit the whole way through. You can watch it in subtitle. It, it is a fantastic performance by him. There's a moment where his mum dies, the caravan catches on fire, yeah. and his performance in that Wonderful. is he's screaming and crying, and it is really, really strong. It's the moment of the film that just grips you more than any other. Um, but this was the year after he did... Fight Club, and initially yeah. he didn't want to do it. He was worried that it was too similar, and it kind of is. I was it watching. Is, I was thinking actually. it's a bit Fight Clubby. The bit where he takes his shirt off for the first time and he's standing there, yes. in the I was like, 100%. that is almost bang on Tyler Durden right there. Yeah, uh, Ocean's Eleven. Then came the following year, and there is a bit of this that feels like a British grungier Ocean's Eleven. I God, feel. he's done some massive fucking films, hasn't he? My God, three years in a row. He had a three great, films. What a run! Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sort of dropped off in the middle there a little bit, but uh, yeah, either well, side, yeah, really good look, movies. Yeah, the, the 2000s weren't as kind of bright. No, 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 I'm talking about this movie. <laughs> oh, don't do that. You know what, man? I'm really, really surprised by this. You didn't laugh at all? There was nothing that I was funny. I think it's laugh out loud funny. Dude, they think, here's a, here's a moment. They reckon this is really, really smart, and you can hear that by the pause before the punchline where Guy Ritchie, you can just hear him sitting in the, in the editing suite going, Fucking love this. They're gonna go crazy. You take sugar. No, thank you, Turkish. I'm sweet enough. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> well, it's mate. It's a. It's that's that's the charm it of it. It feels that's like it's the... been written by a six-year-old. Oh, there was absolutely oh no. And do you know what? This is the. Uh, I actually was physically repulsed watching this scene. Uh, and this is just a little clip of it. But this is when uh, Vinnie Jones is sitting down. There's a couple of people that approach him in a pub. Once again, you can just see Richie in the edit suite when he's writing this movie going, they're going to love this. This is bloody brilliant. And this is what Vinnie Jones says. So, you're obviously the big dick. No, no other side here are your balls. There are two types of balls. There are big, brave balls. And there are little, mincy, faggot balls. These are your last words. So make them a prayer. <laughs> Now, dicks have drive and clarity of vision, but they're not clever. They smell pussy, and they want a piece of the action. The irony, nothing about this film is clever. Nothing Mate. about this film is clever. All right, no, no. I'm okay with you not liking the film because this is part of what it is. You and I have different tastes. But i, I got to get some compliments out of you, bro, and we, well, I'm lucky I've got one with Brad Pitt. Okay, you got one with Brad Pitt. You what about it, what about Alan Ford, who plays Bricktop? Alan Ford is good. I was watching with uh, Tony last night. She said mm -hmm. he looks a bit like a shark. And he does. <laughs> he like a hammerhead. Uh, two eyes <laughs> either side of his head. <laughs> the scene where he's on the phone talking with his glasses off and he's got the intense... <laughs> yeah. It's really 
weird. Ah. It's hard to know where to look. What happened there? Yeah. <laughs> Something um, happened there. He's very good. That's a great performance. Do you know what? I was thinking like Reservoir Dogs. There's a lot of Reservoir Dogs in this as well. And he reminds yeah. me of Harvey Keitel. He Harvey reminds Keitel. me of Harvey Keitel. Mr. Blonde. Yeah, and I think that's maybe just aesthetically. Of course, uh, Keitel's eyes are more forward-facing. Uh, <laughs> look, the editing was great. Uh, the pace is fast. It's There's really fast-paced. Quick cuts. Uh, it's a stylish edit, yeah. and you really need to keep up with what's happening in the storyline, which I struggled with. It is conv- it's convoluted in a way that it comes together because because the whole thing is is it's it's not your traditional you're following one story you're actually following a series of stories that eventually come together to yes um, to a conclusion it's non-linear storytelling it's multiple perspectives and I quite enjoyed that that yeah. certainly keeps you working over time um, the soundtrack's good as well Brycey I that I was actually going to ask you about the soundtrack I remember when I first watched this in particular the scene because the whole thing's based around uh, a fight. Right, it's it, the, the the two heroes of the story is you've got this fight that's happening that's a fixed fight that the gangsters are sort of trying to use to get some cash, and then you've got this diamond that's been stolen initially by by Benicio del Toro's character Frankie Fourfingers. I think it's got a strong target mark. I think for the people who would love this film, a uh, British heist film, I think it really appeals to them very, very nicely. And the music, right? So uh, uh, the first time I watched this film, I remember the scene where where Irish Mickey, he's walking out to the fight that he's actually finally agreed to do. Because he, he agrees to get knocked out in the fourth round early on and then knocks the bloke out straight away and that's when the gangsters kill his family. And this is Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yes. And then he comes back and tries to go again and they play this song... And I was so fucking fired up. Those drums. What's this called? And I fucking in the bushes. Do you know who sings this song? No. Is that Joni Mitchell? Who is that? That's Oasis, bro. Yeah. (laughs) That was the first time in my life I realised Oasis might not be as bad as I thought (laughs) they were. Underworld's a classic. Killer soundtrack, man. There's some really good... The way... And I think the way... Guy Ritchie is, in my opinion, as good as using music in his films as Tarantino is. That comparison does come up a lot because they do... They do a lot of things differently, but they do a lot of things quite similar as well. I think Guy Ritchie is very good with his music. And Mm. that song in particular is perfect. That scene where they're walking and in that dingy fucking boxing club, which they actually couldn't afford to fill... Because they filmed that right towards the end of the film. And you can kind of see it's half empty. That was supposed to be full, but they didn't have the budget for it. Mm. They only shot this on a $10 million budget. It made 83, but they didn't. They actually couldn't fill that. They physically couldn't do it. So that scene ended up almost looking better as a result because it was quite dingy. One of the stories from the set that I really liked is that during production, apparently Guy Ritchie uh, had a system of fines just to keep everything oh, in check. Yeah, so Who like you got finding? you got well anyone on set, so actors, uh, crew, he'd fine you for mobile phones ringing, for arriving late, for taking naps during shooting. <laughs> hey, he's a for pro being, for being unfunny. I think he got fined a few dollars. Oh, off the, that's fucking the awful. Script, uh, moaning, complaining. He runs a tight ship. He does, mate. That's guy. I don't really know where to go here because I didn't realise you were going to hate this movie <laughs> so much. 
There's just you love everything about this movie. I think the guy, dialogue is smart and funny. I think the movie itself is funny. I love the way it's paced. I love the way it's shot. The stylistic choices that they take throughout this film. The gun scenes are really good example. But I really love the. It's so criminally British. <laughs> like, yeah. in, like it's to a it fault. It is definitely. There's a wonderful scene where Vinnie Jones says something. He says some sort of English slang. And um, Farina's character, uh, who plays, who's the only American in the film, says something along the lines of, I thought you people created the English fucking language and I can't understand a word you're saying. I just think, I love just little bitsy pieces like that. Everyone's got like a monologue at some point that's like interesting. And I just, the whole, I think it's very stylish. I think it's, but it's, it matches that stylishness with substance. Like the, the story is interesting enough to keep you through the whole way. Everything feels purposeful, you know, like I love uh, the first time we meet Farina's character, you get those really quick shots. He takes a shot on the plane, he books his ticket, he rocks up at the place. And then when he accidentally kills Vinnie Jones in the film, he does the same thing to go back home. And then at the very, very end of the film, they go when, when Jason Statham ends up with the diamonds, he goes, do you know anyone who's good with the diamonds? And then they do the three quick shots. He's back on the plane for, and then he gets his passport stamped and it's stamped at the end. It's just like... I don't know if that's too specific, isn't it? It's just really, to me, that's the shit I love in a film. I thought the multiple perspectives and the the multiple storylines are sort of analogous to Pulp Fiction in a couple of ways, especially when the cars are driving at the end. We cut between the three of them, but because it all happens so quickly, we kind of go back in time, cut to one car. Cut, go back in time after a crash. Cut to another car. Go back in yeah. time. And that moment is played out separately three different times. And yeah. it is kind of like it would be in a, a Tarantino film. So I can see that there would be some comparisons there. I just think he's the poor man's Tarantino. I That's think interesting. Yeah. if you were to watch a Tarantino film, Reservoir Dogs uh, obviously came out eight years before this in 92. I think he's... In my mind, he's watched that. He's tried to create something with a unique British identity and he's very much succeeded He's done that. that, absolutely. But I think it just pales by comparison. Why would you watch this when you can watch something that Tarantino has mastered? Um... But thank you for giving it to me. <laughs> well, that's the first time I've given you something you've actively hated. So I, I'm, I think I'll take that as a win. Why are you surprised that I hated that film? I really, truly thought that the things that I loved about it, specifically, I, I, you'd have to admit that it's unique, right? Like, you, would you watch this and say that there are just things about this that give it an identity? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And I just thought that you as a lover of film would have seen bits of that and just gone, I like just appreciated the art of it. I think the characters are fucking fun. Like I just love like Boris the Blade and how he's got a funny little backstory and Frankie Four Fingers and he's got a funny little backstory. I thought like, I just love all that shit. I just think that's something that's a little bit lost in cinema these days. Boris the Blade for me, and this is just picking tiny little things apart. Sure. And cousin Avi, his cousin Avi, yeah. what is it? For me, they just look so similar. Like, it was a weird casting yeah. decision. That You know I what? I kept That's getting them fun. confused. That's fun. I actually appreciate that a lot. All right. You made a very controversial statement a few episodes back where you said some shit about Benicio Del Toro that I didn't like. Yeah. 
Did he get you a little more on side with this Frankie Four Fingers character? Did you see a little bit of a different Del Toro to what you're used to? I like Benicio Del Toro about as much as I like this film. <laughs> the fact that he's in this film <laughs> only perpetrates the problem. It makes it worse, brother. Did you know Sean Connery was initially supposed to play Bricktop? So apparently Sean heard about Lockstock. Yeah. And arranged for a, a private screening to see the movie. Went to see Lockstock or to Snatch? See it, to see Lockstock right. ahead of them wanting him for Snatch. Yeah, right. And he watched it and he walked out and he said, that is a great movie, but you will not be able to afford me for Snatch. And you know what? That's probably fair. Yeah. I imagine at that time, Sean Connery was only taking really high offers. He'd done Entrapment around that time, I, re- I think. With? Catherine Zeta-Jones. Is that good? Yeah. Oh, well, give me that next time. <laughs> oh, well, all right. Well, I'm sorry. I'm glad you watched it, but I am, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I do. I, I must admit, I'm a little bummed. There are a lot of films where I kind of go, okay, I can appreciate that. I like something about that. I like elements of it. Mm. Uh, that's not really my thing, but I sort of get where they're going from. A lot of what you have given me within this podcast, Mm. has fallen into that territory. Yeah. This is probably the first time I've seen something that I have just hated. Straight up disliked. Yeah, straight to the guts. Right. When, at what point in the film did you go, I fucking hate this? At what point? And there must have been a point. It's probably going to sound silly, but Mm. from the start, something about just that... Really blue British colour palette that he uses. It's a a palette. Green Street Hooligans uses a very similar thing, and that's British. I think it must be. It must have been a thing in the early two thousands that they just used to encapsulate. Yeah, gritty London. It's like. Man on Fire, where they use that sort of orangey yeah. colour palette for Mexico. Yes. And and quite a few other films have copied that colour palette Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's the same thing with the bridge. So I think when I saw that, I was like, oh, here we go. And then maybe I just didn't have the mental dexterity to figure out the storyline and what was happening because there are obviously different characters doing different things and it's an interweaving storyline. You have to be, you know, quite active in in paying attention and following it. And I think maybe when I lost it and it just picked up a bit of steam and I fell behind that I tried to get back around it and I just couldn't. Yeah. I just felt like the characters were all too similar for me. And then I thought it was just trying to be too smart and it hadn't nailed the basics. Well, that's an interesting one. That's uh, that, That's got me fucked because I'll tell you what, I, I, I watched it yesterday afternoon in preparation for this podcast recording and I was like, how could anyone dislike this? <laughs> Pleased <laughs> to meet you. I actually thought that. I was like, <laughs> how could anyone dislike this? But I guess that's why we decided to do this thing in the first place, isn't it? Finally got you on a hater. I reckon I've got something that you will hate, but it is a movie that I love. Hit me. It's nostalgic, it's yeah. warm, it's cozy. Mm-hmm. Cozy? It's, it's a wedding film and it's called The Father of the Bride. Oh, Steve Martin? Steve Martin. Okay, I, I've not Keaton, seen it. Okay. Martin Short. Uh-huh. 1991. Okay, the year the we were born. The year of our birth. The year, the year that our parents said, oh, God. All right, um, all right well, let's give it a go. Okay. Are you okay? I'm, I'm a little upset. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I've walked out of this recording flat. Yeah, well, not fully flat, I hope, because there has been some cash 
Did we get some money in this week? I know I fucked us last week. We got a bit of money. The Italian government's come through this oh. week. <laughs> Buongiorno. Oh, no. Here in Venice, we have a saying. Oh, no. It's very simple. <laughs> Easy to remember. In fact, some would think it doesn't need to be said at all. Anyway, here it is. Because if you are on a gondola, you shouldn't be giving a blowjob. It is advised the chat-topping rapper and delusional holy man Kathy West could afford to remember. Now, we're going to let Mr. West finish, but uh, we are going to make it a plea. No more blowjobs in Venice. Why not uh, punt the Renaissance artwork inside the Church of San Rocco? Or all at the striking architecture of the Basilica di San Maria? Or try one of more than 40 flavors of gelato at the Piazza San Marco? It's better than blowjob. It shouldn't be hard to remember. Ah, just keep it clean, you sick bastards. Return trips uh, starting from just $2,200. There's never been uh, a better time to come. <laughs> to Venice, to Venice. Oh, no, just no more blowjobs, okay? That's it. I'm done. Authorized by the Venetian government. Spoken by Giorgio Armani. Anyway, so they've... Come through with some cash there, bro. Oh my god! What the fuck was that? I don't know, mate. We can, we don't we're not in a position <laughs> where we can choose the money we accept. We have to pay. You know, I don't you even know. Point, I, don't, <laughs> I don't even know if you know how actually unintentionally clever "No More Blowjobs in Venice" is because he has a song called "No More Parties in LA." Ah, he's done it on Not my first radio, he's baby. Done it. He's done it. <laughs> we'll catch you next well, week. Well, thanks for the Italian government and see you guys next week. Fuck. <laughs>